you just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I, and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. And we lied to them during recruiting or we, we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Yeah, you know, right now uh, we have the atmosphere of a, of a JC softball game. You know, I mean, that's what we are, JC softball team. As long as, you know, uh, it's 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 not whether you win or lose. It's like who, the, the 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 team that wins is the one that has the most fun. You know that crap like that. You know all this stuff that's contaminated America, where they give every kid a trophy and they don't keep scoring little league anymore. Now that's also it's second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. Yeah. Winning the SEC probably is harder than winning the national championship. Do you know that? Well, how about the fucking dogs? Turn that damn you Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the pirate, and the pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State. Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Mike Bren. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And we got some spring games to break down. So it's just going to be me on this one. So just a recap of uh, just my thoughts on... What happened in the four spring games we did have? Tennessee, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, South Carolina, and then Cousin Shane, I I believe he's going to be on the next one, sharing some of his thoughts. Particularly, he's got a lot to say on Tennessee. He's just, he's a busy man. He can't make this show. But, hey, I don't want to spiel on any longer, man. I'm sure I'm like the rest of you. Had a great time watching these spring games. So let's just get right into the action. The Tennessee spring game. You want to talk about fireworks? My goodness. I mean, this is uh, not even recognizable from what we've been seeing in the years past from the Tennessee Vols. Now, I don't get into the stats so much. I'm not going to sit here and read off the orange and white game stats because the stats in a spring game are largely meaningless. But, like I said, this offense, it's like nothing we've ever seen on Rocky Top. I mean, they had 311 yards of offense with about eight minutes left in the first quarter. Uh, I marked this down where in this offense, they're just chucking it deep. And it's just not every play, but it it seems like just about every other play is set up to be launched deep. Harrison Bailey, I'm calling him Heisman Bailey from here on out. Looked like a Heisman Trophy winner. Throw it up to Jack Janzik, who I didn't even know was playing receiver. How about this? Jack Janzik at one point was averaging 68 and a half yards per reception. Brian Maurer hit him for a bomb. Harrison Bailey hit him for a bomb. I mean, it was just incredible. Jalen Wright, the true freshman running back, he looked really solid. Not only, you know, I was expecting him to just be the speed guy, he showed some physicality. Brian Maurer was the first one. You know, let's focus this thing on the quarterbacks real quick. Because that's what everybody wants to talk about. Brian Maurer is the first quarterback to take the field in the orange and white game. And guess what? He threw it deep. (laughs) Now he missed 
Offense went three and out. And then Hendon Hooker was the second quarterback in the game. Hooker started shaky. You know, he wasn't terrible, but he didn't look... I'm not sure he's... I've, I've been touting Hendon Hooker as the potential starting quarterback, and I'm not ready to completely back off that because, again, we got to be careful. I've said this many times already. I'm just going to keep saying it, though. You can't read too much into the spring game. But based on what we saw, I'm just not sure that Hendon Hooker is the ideal fit for this offense. Now, maybe he just had a poor day. He did throw a pick six. Warren Burrell got him with the pick six. But Hooker did have a rushing touchdown. And then at the very end of the game, like I said, it, it, this final score, who won all that, none of that really matters. But he was put in a two-minute situation, and he hit Cedric Tillman for the last touchdown of the game, which was uh, the game-defining points, if you want to call it that. So, I mean, he flashed. I thought Brian Maurer at times looked really good in this offense. And, of course, we've not even had the chance to see Caden Salter in this offense, which he may be the best one for it. And now it, it sounds like you're throwing Joe Milton into the mix, but, whoo, man. And I've thrown out all these stats here for Tennessee's offense. They had 547 yards of total offense in the first half. And keep in mind, Josh Heupel eliminated about five and a half minutes off the first half clock because he just <laughs> he said, <laughs> we're going to be out here all night if we keep at this pace. So he had to cut things short. Let me say that again, 547 yards in the first half of the orange and white game. And immediately, everyone's first response, well, I guess his defense is garbage. <laughs> Who the hell cares? I mean, if that's your complaint right now for Tennessee football, you got it pretty good because last time I checked, defense is not winning you anything in college football. This It's all an offensive game. And, I mean, just look, look at what Alabama gave up at times. I mean, they allowed 48 to Ole Miss. 47 to Florida and how Ole Miss is a perfect example who in the hell is sitting here saying well Lane Kiffin can't coach they don't have a defense Ole Miss gave up 51 to Florida last year 63 to Alabama 41 to Kentucky 35 to Auburn they gave up 42 points to South Carolina they gave up 53 points to LSU now that's never going to win you the SEC but who in the hell Thinks Tennessee's going to be winning the SEC anytime soon. Don't get enamored with, well, my God, our off, our defense must be complete garbage. Look at it the other way. We're gonna we're trending towards that Ole Miss style to where we're going to have shootouts. It's going to be fun and gun. We may give up 40 points a game, but if we can score 42, we're going to win this game. And I think that's most Tennessee fans will take it because what you've been living before that is the last couple of years, I mean, getting to 20 points is, it's been a real struggle. And it's just boring-ass football. And recruits don't want to play in it. Quarterbacks don't want to play in it. If you're having fun, you're shooting, you're throwing it all over the yard, that's what's going to rejuvenate this fan base, get fans to show up. The fa fans are always going to show up. They're always, that's not the problem on, on Rocky Top. They need You need quarterbacks. And it looks like you got the coach. I mean, they're throwing out all these quarterbacks that Heupel coach leading up to the spring game. In case you missed it, I'm going to throw these out. I know most Tennessee fans have already heard this stuff, but when ESPN's touting it on the spring game, Jason White won the Heisman Trophy. Sam Bradford won the Heisman Trophy. Landry Jones, third all-time in Oklahoma passing yards, fifth all-time in touchdowns. Drew Locke broke the SEC record for passing touchdowns at the time with 44. Mackenzie Milton, 
AAC Offensive Player of the Year, Dylan Gabriel, UCF freshman passing record. So, I mean, this guy knows what he's doing. And whoever's going to be Tennessee's quarterback, they're probably going to be breaking some Tennessee records here before long. I don't know how you can watch the spring game and not come away anything that impressed that after just 15 practices, Tennessee's offense, totally unrecognizable. It looks like fun is coming back to Rocky Top. And that's something that old Josh Heupel hit on after the game when he was asked about uh, the quarterbacks and, you know, they really started to come on the tail end of spring football. And Heupel says this is the best best couple of practices they had towards the tail end of the spring. And I think we saw that in the spring game. So let's kick it over to Heupel on that and the quarterback competition. I thought this is, is, a, is a total group effort. Um, they've come a long ways in, in the last 14 days leading up to, to today. I think, you know, if you break it up, spring ball up into, into thirds, you know, every five practices, man, you've seen exponential growth from all of them. In their command of what we're doing, the ability to recognize signals, get lined up, um, get their eyes, feet in the right place, uh, be accurate with the football. I think the, the last, you know, three or four practices have been all of theirs best practice. I thought they played really efficient today. Uh, there are a couple times uh, need to get rid of the football maybe a little bit quicker if they're in a real live situation. I think some of that's a little bit uh, tough to judge when, when you know you're not live as well. But uh, did a really good job of, of taking care of the football besides the, the one pick uh, where Burrell makes a, a great break, break on the football and, and turns it into six points and, and a momentum changing play right there. Uh, but, uh, but proud of what all, each of them have done this spring and thought they operated really well today. They all had great composure out there. Nah, it's it's wide open. Uh, I've been through enough uh, quarterback battles as a player or as a, a coach to know that there's so much time as, as you leave spring ball. We've had 15 practices. We're gonna have a lot more than that when we get to training camp. But they get a chance uh, to sit back now and kind of redigest everything that uh, that's gone on this spring. Uh, get a chance to go through some installs this summer. They get a chance to coach it, own it a little bit on their own. Uh, they get a chance to, to learn from the mistakes, and, and they have an opportunity to come back a much better and different football player by the time that they get to training camp. And you got to allow your players to, to grow uh, through this offseason. I think that's important at the quarterback position, but it's true uh, everywhere. And uh, you got to judge players for who they are today, not where they were yesterday. you got to give kids an opportunity to make that movement during the, the June and July process. All right, and the other noteworthy quote I thought Josh Heupel had is just the positivity. I mean, that's something he's been trying to preach, trying to make it fun for the players and the fan base and all that. And, hell, his offense sure as hell fun to watch. I, at least I thought it was. But with so much negativity, and I don't even think it's in Knoxville so much as it is around the SEC, but, you know, he's he's being very careful to bring a positive mentality to the football programs you know he's not he's going to be truthful with them but at the same time it's got to be positive message message being preached there on rocky top and that's something hype will hit on after the spring game yeah hey josh uh, you've talked a lot about positivity even among your staff what you wanted in terms of coaching guys up in practice that kind of thing how important did you feel like this approach was to build confidence in players in the program and the circumstances that, that you inherited I think it, it's it's important that you set a clear standard with your players so they know what to expect inside of uh, inside of your building every single day, and then you got to be 
really clear that you're going to hold that standard true and that there's consequences when you don't things right. At the same time, your interaction with your players has to be consistent and the message has got to be positive here as we build uh, us all coming together. And it doesn't mean that you're not real with your team. Uh, I think that's the exact opposite of it. Because of those relationships, you get a chance to, to be really true, uh, really real in what you see and, and where you need to go. And because of the connection that you have with those players, uh, they're going to accept that and, and understand that uh, you have their best interest at heart. That's on the field and off of it as well. So it's one thing to go out there and say it. It's another thing to go out there and do it. And I promise you, it's going to be pretty positive within the fan base, at least, if Tennessee's offense is going up and down the field like they did in the orange-white game. Now, surely, you know, they're not going to do this every week in the SEC. But, hell, if you're looking at your non-conference game to say, oh, look, winnable, if you can march the ball up and down the field against those teams and you can do it against some of the lesser teams in the SEC, you're going to give yourself a fighting chance. And if you're firing on all cylinders, this is how Tennessee is going to sneak up and beat a team or two that no one's picking them to win heading into the season. Is You just never know. There's going to come a time where the Tennessee's defense makes some plays, forces some turnovers. Tennessee doesn't turn the ball over themselves on offense. That's the recipe for pulling some upsets on Rocky Top this season. All right, next spring game. Let's kick it on damn to College Station. Giga Maggots. Well, the Maggies close spring this weekend, and man, do we have ourselves a quarterback challenge. Quarterback challenge. Because Zach Calzada and Hayes King, I thought they both looked good in spurts. Now, I've been saying Hayes King, I think that's going to be the guy. I still, nothing I saw on Saturday is getting me to back off that necessarily. But Zach Calzada, man, he's got... A terrific arm. We all knew that. And I thought his his accuracy at times was a little bit off. But as the game progressed, I thought he looked better and better. Uh, now he did have the fumble off the bad exchange. Hayes King, same thing. A turnover on a, a bad exchange there. And it, it was funny. Probably the highlight of Texas A&M spring game was just Jimbo. Much like uh, Nick Saban last week. Jimbo right on the field there. But it was even better with Coach Fisher, because he's given the quarterbacks commentary after every play, telling them what he liked, what they didn't like. He's seen, seeing the field the same as them. And he was getting on some guy's ass. Uh, Anaya Smith, whoo, did he go after Smith? Uh, the center was the backup center was was in the game. It wasn't Mike Matthews. Got a couple dad gummits from Jimbo. I mean, he was fired up. I think uh, if, if there's any Aggie fans out there that miss it, you got to – I mean, this spring game's worth it just to get the commentary from Jimbo Fisher alone because he's giving you the, an eye on, on what he's seeing during these games and, and what the who's screwing up on which play. Sometimes that's the thing. And we've heard, I think it was Brian Harson a couple weeks ago, talking about the quarterback position and how you know all the praise and all the criticism gets dumped on these guys. But half the time, you know, someone else making the wrong decision on the field. And nobody sees that. And that's kind of the window you kind of get into with Jimbo here after every play, mic'd up, talking to his quarterbacks. I just thought that was fantastic. Uh, how about Caden Davis? My God, Texas A&M's got a weapon there. Nailed a 51-yarder. He nailed 
another long field goal. Jimbo's making this this guy. He play he had to play both ways. He was so enamored with Caden Davis. Hit a 55 yarder, 51 yarder. I mean, it was incredible there. Texas A&M's got themselves a long range kicker. They got a short one too that was nailing kicks as well. Uh, Zach Calzada was given the last 30 seconds of the first half to can't call it a two minute drill, but you know, 32 seconds and Jimbo game two timeouts. That should be enough to get in the field goal range. Well, Calzada threw a interception that killed the drive. That was probably uh, you know the poorest decision he made of the day. But both these quarterbacks kind of hit or miss. Uh, engineered scoring drives. Both had multiple turnovers. Both threw a touchdown. Both lost a fumble. So you know a lot to build off here with the Aggies. But you know I thought they looked pretty good. And Isaiah Spiller. Anaya Smith, I mean, I think based on what we saw this weekend, as if there was any doubt, you know, they still look like the best one-two combo at the running back position in the SEC. Hezekiah Jones, I don't think he had his best day. I mean, he had a couple drops out there. That that kind of piqued my interest. A&M was uh, without a lot of, none of the tight ends basically played. And there was at one point, Hayes King got a little nicked up. He had to go to the medical tent. And then he was back on the field before long. So, you know, that gives you an indication of, uh, you know, his toughness. And, you know, he's got a lot of quarterbacks. You can sit it. <laughs> you get nicked up in a spring game, you're done for the day. But, you know, he's out there competing with Zach Calzada. He's not one of giving this thing up. So I really liked what I saw from both those guys. And Jimbo's, I mean, this competition probably going to go down to the wire. And that's something that Jimbo hit on after the game. I mean, it, to him, it's not even, he's not even worried about the quarterbacks. It's, he's worried about the guys around him getting up to speed so let's kick it over to Jimbo on the quarterback competition hit on uh, Hayes King and his ability to throw the ball here and Zach Calzada how he thought he did and uh, even the freshman Eli Stowers talked on him a little bit Jimbo is it difficult to get a true evaluation of your quarterbacks in that situation with an offensive line that's not going to look anything like it does in August and September and also missing some key receivers as well Oh, it does but that, again everybody's worried about the quarterback that's the latest thing I'm worried about I ain't worried about the quarterback. I'm worried about the pieces around them. We've got to play better around them. They, I think they're making tremendous progress right now. And I'm not saying that just for the quarterbacks. I, I am very pleased where they're at. They got to get better without a doubt. But it, there's a lot of pieces around them that need to get better. And it's always hard. In spring, it's always because you got a, a broken group. But that's still, to me, that tells you, that reflects on who you are as a competitor and how you can adapt. Because, listen, the quarterback's got to take the guys he has and be able to be successful, no matter what the situation is. And that's the key to the drill. And, but I thought we did that in a lot of occasions today. And we got to help around them. Hey, Coach, when you look at what uh, Haynes King was able to do, there's in the, uh, I think it was the second quarter, you go for it on fourth down. He gets the speed option and throws that 26-yard completion. Is that kind of the best epitome of, of the athleticism and, and his ability that, that he showed today? Well, I think it is, but I'm going to tell you what, go back and watch how he threw the football. We had a big over about a 25 yard drop in the first series. I think he had four or five drop balls in the first half we had on him that were put us in great scoring range and been big plays. So, I mean, we, I love his athleticism, but I think he's throwing the ball very well too. With, with Calzada and Stowers, what, what did you feel like they were doing right today? And, and what did you like from them? I thought Calzada had a great command of what he did. He was accurate with the ball, threw it decisively, made a lot of good throws, had drops on him too. I was very pleased with him, made good plays with his, with his legs, uh, made some really nice throws. I, I, I thought Zach had an outstanding day. And and uh, Eli, command did a good job. He's got, we got to throw the ball a little better, get a little better there, but he knows what he's doing. It's just, he's young. He's got to get reps. That's the only thing he needs, but he's, he's very athletic and I think got a chance to be a really good player. I forgot to mention Stowers. You know, based on what we saw, 
he's not even in discussion to be the running, but I think that was to be the case. So Jimbo puts a lot on these quarterbacks, a true freshman, early enrollee, very unlikely to to beat out a guy like Hayes King, who's in year two in the offense, Zach Calzada in year three. It just would be really unrealistic for Stowers to come in there and be the starting quarterback year one. But interesting comments here from Jimbo and the you know the sense of confidence he's got in his quarterbacks. If I'm an Aggie fan, that's given me pretty a lot of confidence in what we have moving forward at the game's most important position. And then finally, he talks about Caden Davis, the kicker. I'm telling you, this guy was uh, at the start of the show here in College Station over the weekend. Jimbo says they got a real weapon in Caden Davis. Is it nice to have a longer-range threat like Caden Davis? He really showed off his leg. Yeah, that was today. something we wanted to see, and we didn't get much of that. We got some of that in camp, but having that, I mean, uh, you know, Seth is awesome in what he does, but uh, Caden having that, having that ability to hit those long field goals, you don't know when you're going to need one, and uh, he's a real weapon. So who knows? I mean, if a game comes down to the line, you got to make a 50-something-yard field goal. Looks like the Aggies got the man capable of converting a clutch kick like that in Caden Davis. Next up, let's kick it on over to Oxford. Where the Rebels closed out spring. There was a big baseball game, big comeback against LSU. That kind of set the tone for the day. You know, I honestly, I'm not trying to pick on uh, Ole Miss, but I thought the, the spring game was a little... I don't know, I, maybe I just set the expectations too high because I didn't I didn't think it was the most exciting, to be honest with you. Matt Corral did come out gunning. First play of the game, I believe it was, completes a huge bomb to, I think it was to Braylon Sanders, who he had a hell of a day, and he looks fully the part of a number one receiver in the SEC. That was kind of one of the big question marks with Ole Miss I had going into the spring with Elijah Moore going off to the NFL, probably going to be a first. At worst, a top second-round pick, Elijah Moore. Who's going to step up? Well, Braylon Sanders looks to have filled that role. He scored a touchdown in this game in addition to the big catch he had to to start out the gate. Uh, He was making plays all over the field. Jonathan Mingo had one of the best touchdown catches of the day. A really nice concentration in the end zone. And when Matt Corral wasn't in the game, Kincaid Dent, was a second-team quarterback, and he looked shaky. You know, maybe that's a little bit more. We'll get to Lane Kiffin here in a moment, but he kind of put that more on the fact that uh, so many guys were held out of the spring game. But to me, it's just night and day difference with Matt Corral in an, in the offense and not. So, uh, you know, it makes sense that uh, possibly the best SEC quarterback, the backup's not going to be up to his standard. And, and I'm not saying Dent should be immediately or anything, but uh, that was just kind of glaring to me. Uh, outside of Braylon Sanders and Jonathan Mingo, I didn't see a ton of separation from the receivers. And John Hayes had a really nice interception for the defense. That was kind of the biggest takeaway for me for the Rebels was the defense. And it's not that they were 85 Bears out there or anything, but hell, Ole Miss doesn't need that. They just need a competent unit that's making plays, that's making a, that's capable of making some goal line stands like they did with Matt Corral in the game. They, they shut him out to... Uh, the first series of the game on the goal line. And then the second team defense forced a pick on Kincaid Dent's, I believe it was his first pass. So seeing some plays from this Ole Miss defense, and that's all they need, man. They don't need a dominant unit out there. They just need someone that's capable of taking the ball away, getting that, getting it back to Matt Corral as, as much as possible and letting him light up the scoreboard. And it looks like they've made 
significant strides there in Oxford to make that happen. Uh, so after the game, Kiffin was asked about the quarterbacks, particularly the backups, uh, you know, kind of struggling a little bit in this one, and on how difficult it is to evaluate these court not just the quarterbacks, but basically everybody with uh, so many players out. Kiffin hit on that as well. Laying a couple of long looks at uh, Kincaid and Altmeyer today, just kind of what you see from those guys when they got the chance to play? You know, they didn't have the top guys when they were in there, which obviously, as you see, makes a difference for anybody. But, um, you know, we'll watch the film on that. You know, they they made a few plays in there and, um, you know, at times um, had some plays maybe where some receivers could have made them that didn't make plays, you know, that would have helped them statistically. But, um, you know, just wanted to get them, even I think they're both with both teams at times too. Lane, I think you kind of just uh, alluded to this, but did um... – was it harder to evaluate some of those guys today with uh, so many players uh, not available? Yeah, I think once you lose top players, then obviously that filters through your depth chart. And, you know, so sometimes those guys, you know, are with some twos, you know, that are really normally threes or fours. And, you know, that can impact. And we didn't have as many defensive people out. So, you know, you could see that show up, especially, uh, you know, when it was twos versus twos. All right, so I I fully understand what uh, Kiffin is saying there, but at the same time, I think what he, without without even trying to say it, he's basically admitting that the depth is lacking on his roster. That that's the way I read it. Where you know behind there's there's a gap between first and second string, and then there's a significant gap between uh, the second and third and fourth units. So, and that's to be expected. Hell, he's just in his. Uh, He's going into year two of uh, his system, and this is the first spring they've ever had there under his since he was hired there. So it's, it would be unrealistic to think that they're going to be one of the deeper teams in the SEC. But that's the bad news. At least that's how I'm reading it as. The good news is when they got their first team in there with guys like Matt Corral and Braylon Sanders, uh, Kiffin is loving the connection between those two. Wayne, if you would just talk about what you saw between uh... – with the hookups between Matt Corral and Braylon Sanders today and how Braylon can be a, a, a really good deep threat for you guys? Well, I thought, you know, Braylon, when he was healthy last year, played great. Um, you know, and uh, when out of that LSU game, he was really hot when he was going out. And, you know, I think his average per, per catch was, you know, one of the tops in the country. So, you know, just good to see him make plays. and. Needs to stay healthy so he can have a really big year. All right, final one. Let's uh, jump it on down to Columbia. Where the Gamecocks closed out spring football. Had a lot of fans here. 13,225 showed up. And it was, uh, you know, this is kind of what I was expecting from the Gamecocks. Not a full-on scrimmage. Shane Beamer here leading up to the things. Said they almost couldn't even have one because because uh, of injuries and, the, and the, just the the two deep lacking many players. You know, South Carolina's, again, not one that has a ton of depth. So they only played about half a game. The rest of the half was was kind of competition and drills and all that. But biggest takeaway, this is something that I hit on leading up to the Garnet and Black game. Who's going to step up? Who will step up at running back? Zacondre White, is he worth the hype? Hell yeah, he was on Saturday. I mean, he was outstanding. He got the first drive going with a big 22-yard rush, scored the first touchdown of the game. 
And that was not all the plays he made. He he was all over the field for the Gamecocks on Saturday. And it's looking like they got a three-headed monster down there with Marshawn Lloyd, Kevin Harris. Now we can add White to that list. If South Carolina can block and they've got a hell of an offensive line, they should, uh, who knows, they may lead the SEC in rushing with all these running backs they got down there in Columbia. But, you know, Luke Doty, Really interesting comp that uh, Shane Beamer, he spoke to the ESPN broadcasting crew and never quite heard this comparison before, but he compared Luke Doty to Jalen Hurts from a skill set standpoint. And of course, uh, Shane Beamer was there at Oklahoma when Jalen Hurts was down there. And, you know, I think he could do a lot worse than Jalen Hurts. I know a lot of people overlook him because Tua came and took his job, but Talking SEC Freshman of the Year, won multiple conference championships, went to multiple national championship games. And any Alabama fan would tell you, without Jalen Hurts, I mean, even as uh, when Tua got the starting job, they would have lost to George in the SEC championship game if not for Jalen Hurts coming off the bench and having some late-game heroics. So uh, he's a hell of a player, and if that's what Luke Doty turns out to be, I would be pretty damn happy I'm a Gamecock fan. And after the game, we'll get to Shane Beamer's comments here in a moment, but Luke Doty is going to be your starting quarterback unless something happens where he loses the job here. But the one guy, if I'm looking at a quarterback that could potentially beat him out based on what we saw on Saturday, and I'm not saying that he will, but I think it would be Jason Brown, the the St. Francis transfer. So he looked pretty sharp. But, of course, the big, literally, a uh, big guy from St. Francis, E.J. Jenkins. My goodness. I mean, seeing him in live and in person, you know, pretty excited. when you Anytime you land a six foot eight, they listen to him. At, I thought he was six seven. They're listening to him at six eight now. Receiver, who I think he's going to play more tight end in this offense. But, man, he is going to be a nightmare matchup in the red zone. He's looks He looks a lot like Jimmy Graham is kind of how I compare it the the frame of EJ Jenkins in the South Carolina offense and we already know how outstanding Nick Muse is so now you know I hate to put too much uh, hype on a guy that's not played in the SEC level yet but potentially the best one-two combo at the tight end position here add that with uh, all these running backs and a veteran offensive line we've got some pieces here and I also want to throw out to uh carry on Joiner I mean the hype is legit Saturday, that was the best I've ever seen him as a receiver in Marcus Satterfield's offense. So I really liked what I saw there, and this looks like a fun and entertaining offense. I'm still not convinced. You know, it's just one game, so again, you never read too much into a spring game, but just based on what I saw, I think they're going to be needing some more, particularly receivers, to make this system go because they, you know, they've been hyping this up as uh the Joe Brady LSU offense, and I can see that. I can see where they're getting that. I think uh, a lot of people roll their eyes when they hear that. I'm not saying it's going to be as productive as that because you got to look across the what LSU had on the field. I mean, we're looking at multiple first-round picks, including at quarterback, but I'm namely thinking of the receivers as well. And we're not, we don't have anything of that caliber at South Carolina right now when it comes to the quarterback and receiver position. But once we get those guys – Different story. So, you know, the system's looking good. Luke Doty, I thought. The only critique I'd have from him, didn't seem particularly accurate. Didn't see a lot of deep throws from him on Saturday. 
But again, just one performance in a spring game. But that, if I'm a South Carolina fan, that's what I'm looking to get improved moving forward. But according to Shane Beamer, I mean, this is our guy moving forward. Luke Doty's your QB1. Hey, Sharon, earlier in the spring you were asked about, you know, if, if you could name a starting quarterback at the end of spring, you would like to, you know, given what it does for the team and the structure going into the summer. Are you at that point right now? Yeah, I mean, unless something just totally changes between now and when we watch the tape, I mean, Luke Doty's our starting quarterback, and like every other position, that is going to be competition throughout the summer. Uh, by no means are we uh, anointing Luke, but I mean Luke has taken every rep with the first team all spring practice. I didn't see anything today to make me, you know, think otherwise. He's he's great. Now it was great to see Jason make some throws. Great to see Colton do some things today. Connor, that whole group. But you know we're we're competing. Don't get me wrong. I mean Luke's got to continue to get better. Luke's got to continue to progress over the summer. Luke's got to have a great uh, preseason training camp. But yes, as we come out of spring practice, Luke's our starting quarterback. Now it's his job to continue continue to earn that and, and continue to compete between now and uh, the Eastern Illinois game. And specifically with the down the field stuff in the passing game, did you have more stuff called for Luke that he couldn't get to? Or was that all the game plan? And how do you feel about him being able to push the ball down the field? I have no concern with Luke at all. No, I mean, we'd, um, it wasn't like we had a game plan for Luke and a separate game plan for Connor and all that. Or it wasn't like we said, do this with Luke, don't do this with Colton or whoever. Uh, no, nah, man, it's just the way things were called, or you know, it's a pretty good defense. Those guys are going up against as well with a pretty good pass rush, and and uh, those guys have done a great job offensively all spring. But no, I have no concern at all with Luke. I mean, Luke's com- com- converted on plenty of deep balls. So you know, if that's your story, find another one because Luke's has no. Con- I have no concerns at all about us being able to hit deep balls down the field for sure, and, and Luke being able to do things with his feet as well. Um, with what he with what he can do as an athlete. All right, and then the other guy, I mean, I called him out already, Zaquandre White. Aside from the damn PowerPoint presentation he gave uh, this spring, he was the talk of the running back room leading into this thing, and he certainly lived up to the hype. And Shane Beamer was uh, more than eager to talk about Zaquandre White and what he brings to this team. Shane, you mentioned Zaquandre obviously getting a little bit more, a few more reps with Marshawn and, and Kevin not playing. Just what, what did you kind of see from him, and what did you kind of take away from his performance and, you know, scrimmage environment anyway. So fired up for him. That's the way he is every day in practice. Uh, that's the way he is every single workout. I've told the story that the very first walkthrough we had in the indoor back before we even started spring practice, we handed the ball off to him one time and he, you know, went full speed down the sideline, ran 30 yards to the end zone in a walkthrough. And I remember turning to JJ and, and uh, Tonka and Aaron Sterling and some of those guys on the sideline, kind of like, what, what's up with this guy? And they said, Coach, he's that way every single play. And he is. Uh, he's always got a smile on his face. He's high energy. I love the way that he competes and the way that he runs the football. He's a uh, he's he is a weapon for us. He does a great job on special teams and and he's gonna have a I think he's gonna have a big time 2021 season. He he with Kevin Harris and Marshawn Lloyd and Rashad Amos not playing today. He took advantage of that opportunity. There's no doubt about it. And he's gonna get a lot more carries because of it. All right, guys. So uh, hey, that's all I got on this one. Trying to keep this one kind of short. Marty, uh, beer deep into my uh, pod here. My head's starting to spin. But maybe it's just something from that SEC action. I mean, man, it got me fired up. It was great having SEC on two days. I mean, jam-packed on Saturdays was fun last week. But this week with the the three games on Saturday, the one on Sunday, I kind of liked that even more. I was able to digest it, all the action, I think, a lot better. But, man, I hope you guys had just as much fun 
watching these games as I did. And uh, hey, we'll be you know bringing you a lot more content. Uh, I know spring is over now, but you, you better believe we're going to be lining up some good guests and there's going to be topics on and on and on. So we may scale back here in the coming days. I don't know. We'll see how it happens. But I, I just wanted to get this pod out to break down some of my thoughts coming off the spring. But that's all I got on this one. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. And of course, as always, if you made it this far, if you wouldn't mind going a step further, giving us that five-star written review on the Apple Podcast app. We'll give you a beer koozie free of charge just for doing that. Just reach out to us at thatsecpodcast at gmail.com with your mailing address and your five-star written review. We're happy to send you a beer koozie free of charge. We got 12 SEC editions available to send out to you. But, hey, that's going to do it. Hope everybody enjoyed the spring. And looking forward to uh, (laughs) a summer full of list season, as Shane likes to call it. So we're going to be back with uh, more pods in the days to come. But uh, appreciate everyone stopping by. Catch you on the next one.